Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome in once again to the Ducks Rising podcast. I'm Doug Scott, joined as always by Andrew QB11. Big Ducks win. Yeah, huge Doug, Ducks win. How are you doing, Doug? I'm doing great. Uh, it was a great day at Autzen yesterday. If you, my voice sounds funny, it's because I yelled it out. Um, ate a lot of good breakfast, went and enjoyed a great game. Perfect weather, perfect atmosphere for a football game, and you can't ask for for really a better uh, a better game day experience than that was. The stands were full. Crowd was good, uh, energy was good, and and obviously the outcome was great. The Ducks uh, beat BYU forty-two to twenty in a game that really was thirty-eight to seven at the end of the third. So, wasn't really even as close as as the score, um, the score ended. But uh, great, great win for the Ducks, and uh, let's talk about it a little bit. Absolutely, let's get into it. So. <clears throat> You know, maybe just first impressions of the game. I, I've got a few I could run through, but uh, you know, certainly let let you start first if you want. You know, just kind of overall impressions on on how the Ducks looked and what BYU did and didn't do, and kind of thoughts overview. Yeah, it was kind of funny because I was watching our game and I was just noticing as the game went on that like, and gaining confidence in the fact that we're really well coached, like we're winning the game in the margins. We talked about it on a podcast early in the year, but. Like the cheeky little attempt to get a free five yards on our field goal attempt in the first quarter. Um, it's like it doesn't really change the odds of making the field goal, but if you get those free five yards, it puts you in, in fourth and one in a situation where you're absolutely going for it. Um, like that second, the the last drive to end the second quarter was just masterful. Like from start to finish, the the changes in tempo, the changes in personnel, um, the, the way that we just manipulated the clock without wasting timeouts and getting ourselves in a position where we, we scored and there wasn't enough time left for BYU to do anything. There, there was just, there was a lot of really, really good, uh, the defense is just getting better and better week to week. Offense is executing at a high level. We saw more of the good Bo Nix that I think is going to be, um, I, I think it's going to be less good Bo Nix, bad Bo Nix and more Auburn Bo Nix, Oregon Bo Nix as we get deeper into the season. Yeah, I think that I think that the Bo Nix narrative will will hopefully kind of change a little bit too. I think he's playing really well. Um, you know, you said something there about the coaching, and I think it's it's worth touching on. Um, you know, we went into that Georgia game in our podcast ahead of that, talking about you know kind of some of those like new staff, you know, new head coach, never been a head coach before, staff all gelling together, everybody on the same page, and there will be some, you know some coaching, I don't want to say blunders, right? But like, there's gonna be some game management issues. There's gonna be some timeout management issues. And I think, I think even Dan admitted to one, you know, early, maybe in that first or second game that he wanted to have back, or maybe he's in a practice leading up to the first game. Uh, you know, but it's really, we haven't really seen a lot of it. I think the coaching, you know, kind of that game operations, game management stuff you're talking about has been 
really quite good through three games. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but you know, there hasn't been these egregious, like, Oh my God, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they, they called a timeout coming out of a, a, out of a quarter break, or they, they messed up that, that clock management in that drive and had to, you know, settle for a long field goal attempt instead of having a shot at a touchdown. We haven't seen that at all. And I think that's a really good sign to your point. Uh, One of the other things I really noticed in this game is, it was a pretty low possession and low snap count game. Uh, both teams had 10 possessions and only four in the first half each. And and there was uh, the snap count was 65-64 in favor of Utah. So, But it didn't feel like a slow game. Well, really quick before we get too far away from it, Doug, like contrast what we're talking about with the coaching to the Miami-Texas A&M game where like Oregon's been unbelievably clean on special teams. Like we have multiple different types of kickoff coverage. Like our, our punt units and our kick units have executed really well. We haven't had any breaches in, in our protection on punt or PAT or field goal. And, and meanwhile, like Miami's going out there wasting a, a timeout on the first drive of the second half coming out. They're getting a PAT blocked. They're not covering kicks. Well, it, it's just like, like that stuff is showing and it's hilarious how, the 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 old staff is still doing the same stuff they've always done and it really just kind of goes to show that there's there's a certain attention to detail and care factor i think for the details at oregon right now that wasn't existing prior yeah i didn't know if you were going to go there or not uh i i thought about it but i'm i'm happy you did yeah i definitely think that's noticeable and and there was uh plenty of miami fans you know kind of showing their frustration with some of those things um on saturday and and uh you know a a lot of oregon fans are like yeah yeah we we get it we've seen it yeah it was all very predictable but it was just like those are the things that i was kind of worried about with a first-time head coach like there's going to be growing pains and largely it's it's gone really really smooth and and i think the week-to-week improvement is just staggering like if you go back and watch the way we played perimeter screens and runs against georgia and watch us against byu it's like a season had passed like a full year of development had taken place in those two weeks yeah just just you know staying on the coaching contrast a little bit i I thought i caught myself after this game thinking a little bit about you know what would this game have looked like you know with uh, last year right uh you know byu coming into oregon and and i think we still win all right I, i think we grind out a a you know, 31, 24, you know, one possession kind of game where it, it's not pretty. We, we leave, we leave points on the field and we, we win by, we win by a score. Right. But, but we don't win going away. Uh, we don't have, we're, we're not up 38, seven after three. Um, I, I just think, yeah, the, the T te- the focus and the attention to detail and the, the energy and effort level, you know, consistency just seems to be better. Obviously, it's still early. We got to let the other, you know, conference play play out, but it's noticeable so far to me. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where, as like we were clearly fired up and ready to go on Saturday as a team, um, and I and I hope that landing because I think this week is we'll get to it, but this week's gonna be really important to fight that complacency and that pat on the back and like, oh yeah, we we did it. Like, no, you you didn't do it yet. Like, you got to go on the road. You got you got to show that you can do it on the road and you can sustain now. But there, I don't think that when we're playing hard and we're and we're we're really disciplined physical football team, we're not losing focus in high energy spots. Like our, our guys are executing at a heightened level, um, even from a couple weeks ago, and that's really impressive to see. And like even watching from last week to this week, like I'm just gonna shout out two players that I thought had a tremendous game in a spot where. 
I don't know if, if Sewell was battling an injury or what was going on there, but Flo, Flo was unavailable. And Brown and LeDuc stepped up and played a lot of snaps along with Jeffrey Bassa. And I'm not the reason I'm highlighting LeDuc and Brown is not because Bassa didn't play well, because he did. But those two players played so far and above and beyond any any sample of film they've ever put out there. Now, it's important to measure or, or to, to mention that BYU is not a particularly athletic team in terms of team speed, sideline to sideline, but those guys were playing faster. They were getting to their right spots. They weren't hesitating. They were tackling well in the open field. Um, and it was, it, there was, there was a couple plays even watching the game live. Cause I haven't had a chance yet to go back and do like formal film study or chart bonics or any of that stuff that I want to do, but we're just, we're, we're settling into the new schemes. You can see it happening. You can see the comfort level growing because guys are starting to play faster and get to the right spots and it's putting them in a position to be successful. Like even watching the way that our defensive backs were pattern mat pattern matching, when we were playing zone coverage late in that game, like it was backups that were in the game and there's not, there's not breaks in the coverage. Like guys are playing at a high level, like the corners, both Florence and, and, and Manning um, who are competing with bridges for that cornerback two spot played exceptionally well down the stretch in the second half. Like Manning that, that play pass interference call was just complete horseshit. And, but he's like, our guys are squeezing receivers to the sidelines with their body, but using proper mechanics so that it's not a penalty and, and just completely suffocating, suffocating them on the edge. And Gonzo's playing great. And there's a, there's a lot of really, really positive things that you could tell are, are significant improvements even week to week from last week against EWU. And there's still a lot of things that they need to work on going forward, but uh, it's just really encouraging to see. I'm, I'm focusing on the defense right now, but to see so many guys that they're clearly buying into what's being taught because they're getting so much better so fast. Yeah, I thought the defense took a pretty significant step forward this week. Like you said, obviously they, you know, they did great against Eastern Washington, but it's Eastern Washington, right? Uh, I, you know. BYU is BYU is a disciplined, well-coached football team. Knows what they want to do. They have a really dynamic quarterback, and and he, you know, he played pretty well, right? I, I thought our defense really showed up, and and like you said, took some steps forward, even with you know some key players, you know, limited. So I, I yeah, I think I think the schedule for Oregon, obviously outside of opening in Atlanta against Georgia, the schedule for Oregon really sets up pretty well, right? Because as you expect that team, especially the defensive side of the football, to get continually better throughout the season, I think the schedule, you know, we're in a nice spot right now. I mean, we're on the road two out of the next three, but, you know, the the, the toughest games on our schedule are after the bye. So, you know, not to take any way, anything away from, you know, Washington State and Arizona, which are tricky road games, and Stanford in between at home. But, you know, that's the kind of, you know, like like you like to see the schedule lay out that way and give the team a, a chance to continue to get better and better through that bye week. And then we really hit the meat of the schedule, you know, with with UCLA at home and then those games again. You know, we got a couple more ones after that with Colorado and Cal. But Cal, you know, who knows? Cal's, Cal's defense is looking pretty good still. So, but then we got, you know, the, the finish, which is, you know, Washington, um, Utah, and Oregon State. So uh, by the time we get to that last, you know, stretch of those three games, like this team should really be firing on all cylinders, and I think that's what you you would ask for going into the season from a from a schedule setup perspective. Yeah, like I listen for those that listened to our preview of BYU last week. Like we weren't particularly high on the Jimmys and the Joes, but we were really high in the execution and the 
the effort that BYU plays with and the fact that they're always going to be in the right spot and they're going to do the do the right thing. For Oregon to dominate them the way that we did just shows that we're executing on par with them, but we have better athletes doing it. And so that's all you can really ask for. I mean, again, there's still things that need to get cleaned up. Like our the way that we're our linebackers and and defensive line, I, we're we're not getting as much pressure as I think we're going to be able to get here in coming weeks. Um, partially because I think there was a concerted effort to keep Hall in the pocket. He's a really good athlete. I mean, shoot, he was making just some tremendous throws. He's got a big arm. Uh, I think that the, outside of Michael Penix, I think that we might have already played the two best, two of the three best quarterbacks on our on our schedule in week one and week three. Um, but besides the point like we're kind of we're we're still running into each other a little bit on our stunt and twi- stunts game um our linebackers and defensive line the timing on our on our simulated pressures and blitzes isn't probably what isn't really that good right now frankly like it's something that that certainly needs attention and I'm sure they'll rep the heck out of it and over time they'll continue to improve just like we've improved in the other areas uh clearly the emphasis over the last 2 weeks has been tackling and how to play off blocks and leverage and get guys to the right spot on the perimeter. And that's showing up. I mean, we just absolutely smothered their perimeter screen game. They had they were getting absolutely nothing there. Um, and our interior defensive line was dominant, and they weren't able to run the ball. And what did they have, like 36 yards rushing? Uh, they ended up with um, 61 yards rushing. Two and a half yard average, though. Uh, you know, And I think their long was 11. So we really bottled them up. Yeah, and some of that stuff was in garbage time. I mean, because really, like the entire fourth quarter of this game was garbage time. Uh, and I know, I know, where we put our starters back in to go finish it off real quick. But like, would basically from when Ty went in with about honestly, what was it like five minutes left in the third quarter? Um, that like we we started rotating, we started going deep in our rotation, and that is exactly what we want to see, right? Because we talked about that. The difference between other than all the super elite talent that Georgia has, but they play those guys. If you're on, if you're dressing, you're going to play because they're going to beat the hell out of whoever they're playing and they're going to get into garbage time and start giving them reps. Like Damon David, even to me, as some just during the live watch, looked way better than he did even a week ago. And he's playing against better players. He was playing against the BYU ones and he's looking good in coverage. He's making good plays. JJ Greenfield's making some good plays. Um, I mean Devin Jackson. I saw. I didn't. I didn't notice him making any particular plays that were really special. But getting in there and getting some reps, like th- those are these are the things that that I think are really. Th- these are the things that get me excited. Like yeah, beating them at home like that, being up thirty-eight-seven at the end of the third quarter. Um, really, that's when the game was pretty much over. Uh, that that's that's excellent. The way that we played is fantastic. There's still a lot of room for improvement, but the fact that we are already developing that killer instinct and that we're already starting to find ways to get these super valuable game developmental reps for our younger guys so that when guys move on to the next level or when guys graduate, it's not as it's not as steep of a learning curve. Like That's what gets me excited about the future of the program. Yeah, absolutely. And sticking on the defensive side of the ball, and we'll switch over to the offense here in a little bit. But um, I, I thought... You know, I think there's two areas that we need to improve on. Continue, you know, I think the, obviously we can always get better across the board, but I think there's two areas in particular that we're going to really need to uh, to improve on as we we get further into the season, especially against teams that have dangerous uh, passes. 
backs is is pass rush as you mentioned and you talked about and and hopefully that will come but also i think that that second corner position right you know triquez has gotten picked on a bit all three games um i thought we went to florence and manning a lot more in the second half and you know they both had they both had their moments where they got picked on too but they also both had moments where you know i thought okay there's a nice play you know there's a guy who's who's in the right place he's doing his job like you said that uh, you know that play where Manny got called for for PI in the end zone was was I mean that was textbook coverage like that was not a PI like the you know the, the refs in this conference love to call PI uh, especially in the end zone and I'll I'll be the first to say like I was I thought that Coach Meat was a fine a fine hire I thought thought he was doing a really really good job with the guys at Colorado he had done some good things at Arizona and UCLA our corners like have gotten pretty appreciably like noticeably better since he's been here already. Um, and that's exciting to me because like Gonzo is just Gonzo's phenomenal. The fact that BYU thought it prudent to throw at him on that third and ten late in the game was hilarious. Like he he the the entire game he was just like a blanket over whoever he was who he was covering. Yeah, he he's been just phenomenal. But yeah, I I think we're going to need to develop a little more a little more consistency across from it the other side. And and I, I was not, it was good to see them like okay. Let's give some other guys shots, right? And they and they really gave a lot of a lot of players shots over there, and that will will play out. And it'll continue to play out in practice and games over the next few weeks. So we'll see who ultimately takes that spot. Yeah, and I think like Trequez is getting better too. It's it's like it, he gets picked on a lot because he's not as athletically gifted as Florence or Manning as as a pure cover corner. He's he's longer. He doesn't transition as well. He's not as twitchy or athletic. Um, but he does a lot of really good things supporting the run, playing the screen game. Uh, I think he's a lot more comfortable. He's a lot better in zone. But it's clear watching Florence and Manning that as they get more reps, they are getting more comfortable. And I think that that ultimately is going to end up being who we see kind of take over um, at corner. Any other thoughts defensively you wanted to touch on? No, I mean, the primary room for improvement, I think, is continuing i think i don't even think it's fair to just say corner but across the entire defensive backfield continuing to improve in coverage uh, i thought our linebackers did a much better job in coverage but that needs to continue to get better the biggest thing is going to be the pass rush um obviously like everyone's going to point to the doorless tackle for loss on fourth and one um as a successful stunt but our stunts and blitzes there's something we're, we're off we don't have great timing and cohesion yet so that's somewhere i'm looking for us to improve yeah, I think overall, you know, I think the defense obviously played a pretty strong game. Um, you know, they were eight, BYU was eight for 15 on third down conversions. You'd like to see that, you know, number be lower. Uh, a couple of those might have been kind of in that garbage time zone. But I, I think even more key, 0 for 4 on fourth down. And we and, and three of those were, you know, sub garbage time or, or you know, the, the last one was in garbage time for sure. But, but you know, with the first drive of the game. Uh, stopping them on fourth and seven and you know in our in Oregon territory and then the, the obviously the fourth down stop you know with early third was really a key part of what was really the that turned this game into a blowout right you mentioned earlier that 13 play 79 yard drive to end the first half and go up 24 to 7 then Oregon comes out gets the ball nine plays 75 yards to go up 31 7 
and then the fourth and one stop ensues and that and then we go down and, and you know or we not go down because that was that was in BYU territory so after that we we take the 35 yards and and put up 38 seven and it's game over so that back to back to back that was just a boom 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 that turned what was you know a couple of a possession lead into an absolute blowout and and game over and so you know kudos for the defense on those fourth down stops which I think were were really key they came up big in those big moments well yeah and it's like important to note just like Jaron Hall is really good. <laughs> like he was making some freaking killer throws. Like some of those back shoulder balls he was throwing, um, some of the far like the far sideline from far hash throws. Like there was some big time throws made on some of those conversions that are you just kinda have to tip your hat at times. Um not that we can't improve in a lot of those areas and I, I do think that third down defense is something I think that kind of goes hand in hand with what we were talking about about the secondary. Like they schemed up some good stuff. I think that the the fake screen um, that ended up being a touchdown of the tight end over the middle, Addison and the linebackers got a little bit lost in the shuffle. Just continuing to work to work eye, eye discipline will will improve a lot of that stuff. And just guys again keep getting reps. But when when you have as much to work on as we do, and you hold a team to seven points in meaningful time, and you bow your neck in really key situations on fourth down. That's a really good starting point, right? Like through three games, if you had told me that that's where we'd be, I'm really happy with where we're at. Let's talk about the offense a little bit. Uh, I think the offense continues to be the strength of this team. You know, very diverse, very balanced. Uh, it, it's really hard to stop an offense that, you know, runs for. 212 yards, passes for 227 yards, uh, 11.4 yards per pass, you know, 4.8 per rush, you know, just spreads the ball around to to players all over the field, you know, tight end, running back, wide receiver, doesn't matter. Um, we're, we're attacking from all angles and it's just a really fun offense to watch. And it's also, you can see it's really challenging for other teams to stop. Because, you know, we can really attack from anywhere, outside, inside, down the middle, outside, you know, deep, it, 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 screen game. Like, it seems to be all clicking for us right now. And, and the offensive line, I think, is the key to it all, obviously. And they've been, they were really, really good on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think the offensive line's playing at a really high level. And the best part is, is, like, Jones was out of lineup, Walk was inserted back in, he played well. Um, but like JPJ and Harper are plugging into those guard spots whenever someone, whenever they need to, and they're playing, we're not really losing much when those guys go into the game, if, if anything at all. Um, we were able to get Connor Lee some reps with our big jumbo 13 personnel. It's really 14 personnel. Um, and that was awesome to see. And I just love the mix of tempo and like, it makes sense when we're changing tempos. We're not just going slow to go slow. We're going slow situationally to bleed clock, um, to put ourselves in the best possible situation to win. Like again, going back to that last drive of the first half, like we played, we were playing four minute, we were playing basically six minute offense until like the one minute mark left, and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, let's go, we're gonna go score now. It was like two minute offense from that point on, and what it did is it eliminated BYU's opportunity to match a score, and it gave us the ball back to start the second half. So we, we, we basically got a 14-point additional swing to, to kind of expand our lead, which really put the game away with three minutes to, like, with 13 minutes left in the, second, in the third quarter. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really game over at that point. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was game over, and, and a lot of that advantage was gained not on the field, but in the, in the box and on the sidelines by the staff, and that's why I'm really impressed by that. Um, like Nick's is continuing 
I, I'm really interested to chart this game because I don't know that he had an incompletion that wasn't a throwaway. Yeah, he was 13, 13 of 18 for 222, two touchdowns. And, of course, he had three more on the ground. But um, average of 12.3 per attempt, which I think is by far his best average on the season. And I, I can't recall the five incompletions exactly. but Yeah, and I'll be interested to see I, his air yards. We were, we were pressing the ball vertically more this game. And that's kind of something we had forecasted in, the, in our preview last week. Um, the throw to Franklin was a great throw, even better catch. Um, there was a nice throw up the sideline to Mataveo. We got the ball up the seam to Franklin again. Uh, Coda was working the middle of the field really, really well. We still were doing our screen game, but it wasn't as much of a part of the offense this week as getting throwing the ball downfield. Um, we were getting the ball on the edge through the run game a lot more, I think, than, than the screen game this week, just watching it live. But yeah, like Bo Nix is really impressing me. He he's showing a lot of command of the offense. Uh, I can't cite specifically, but I noticed in the post game press conference, landing landing cited a few times where where Nix got us into oper- into plus plays out of bad situations. Um, he's been really accurate. Like he's not he's not missing any of the easy stuff. I, I've just been super pleased with that. I would like to see us continue to develop the the vertical passing game. Uh, it'll make it'll make the game come easier to us if we can get some get two to three of those plays like the plays we had to Franklin a game as opposed to one. Um, but our run game looks fantastic, and man, Bucky, that guy is a pain in the ass to get on the ground. He runs hard, um, and so does Noah Whittington. And even without Cardwell available this week, you saw Jordan James step up in some really key situations on fourth down and really run with some authority and and get behind his pads. So yeah, I mean I'm. I'm pretty over the moon right now about this offense. I think that there's kind of like the defense, there's clear room for improvement. Um, but the pieces that are there for us to be able to do a lot of different things. Yeah. I mean, they scored on their first seven possessions, six touchdowns and a field goal. And, and um, you know, I think even on the field goal, it, it, probably a little bit of self-inflicted, you know, miscues down there in the goal, in the goal area that it probably could have been another touchdown drive potentially. And then even, I think their eighth drive before they, swapped out the the starters was yeah you know maybe at that point it doesn't matter so who cares so uh but you know 14 completions overall to to nine different receivers so just i mean spreading the ball around like crazy troy had three chase had two chris one you know the four different tight ends caught passes uh, and then a couple of running backs out of the backfield noah and jordan uh as well so i uh, really spreading it around you mentioned bucky he had 14 carries almost 100 yards 97 6.9 average he was clearly the lead back today um noah 13 carries 66 um and then bo himself carried nine times which you know was obviously part of the game plan this week and they said that would be you know game plan specific but i thought his decision making on options was really good right he pulled a couple for touchdowns Pulled a couple for some nice gains. He had some scrambles that were really effective. Um, so, you know, only a 3.9-yard average, but, you know, a couple of those were on goal line plays and fourth down sneaks. And, you know, we used the sneak uh, on third and short and fourth and short a couple times to, to success. So uh, Jordan James, as you said, the kind of the short yardage back, and I like that was that jumbo package where they brought the 14 personnel in and he was the back in all of those. And, you know, six six uh, for 33 is, is quite good. So... You know, just very diverse, just using all the weapons at the disposal. Yeah, I like the way that they're not allowing teams to dictate when Bo can run. We're really saving it mostly for the low red zone uh, when the field gets condensed and you want to get some extra, you want to kind of regain some advantage that you're losing from the ability to go vertical. 
Uh, so that was cool to see. It was also really good to see, like, landing preaches all the time. If you're old enough, you're good enough. Or, sorry, if you're good enough, you're old enough. Like, finding a way to get Connerly involved, despite the fact that we have two really good veteran tackles, is a really cool way by bringing in an extra tackle and exercising that talent advantage. There was one time where we were playing 13 personnel, and we locked a minute for a couple plays down near the goal line, and then without substituting, so that the, we we went to an 11 personnel look with the same same personnel. We had three tight ends split out in like a trips formation to the field, and they had to have a bunch of linebackers and safeties. We ended up having to throw it away; it wasn't executed at a super high level. But just seeing that we're 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 mixing personnels and we're getting ourselves in advantageous positions, but we're also showing flexibility within those personnel groupings. Um, I think the play sequencing has been really, really good from Dillingham. The run game, it, it just continues to evolve. I, I really liked, we, we found a counter play. That's really, it was, I think he stole that from Jamie Chadwell in coastal Carolina, but regardless, we found a counter play that works really, really good against that tight front that they were playing. We bullied them. We gave them a bunch of different surfaces and a bunch of different window dressing. Franklin was basically running gassers back and forth on that one drive because of the because of the shifts we were doing before every play. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, put <laughs> out all the way to the numbers on one side, and then they you know, they reset, and he goes all the way to the numbers on the other side. It's like, oh man, poor Troy. Yeah, but it's giving it's giving a really clear picture to Bo. Um, it's giving our front a really clear picture of how exactly they're going to be fitting in the run game. And I think that we're going to see uh, a lot more stuff coming out of that unbalanced formation that we were showing in this game. Um, and I think that Dillingham to this point has done a really good job of just giving some things for other teams to prepare for in future weeks each week. And, uh, and I think that what separates good coordinators who have a good understanding of offense and great coordinators are, is the ability to sequence those plays to have counters for your counters that are layered week to week as you move through your schedule. And so I'm, I'm really, really pleased with the way the offense is playing. Again, I'd love to see the vertical passing game continue to get more love and more, uh, I get emphasized a little bit more within the game plan. But as we stand today, that was as close to a perfect offensive performance as you could have asked for. Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple, a couple of things. I, I, our friend James Crepia posted uh, on Twitter earlier, a, a video of, it was a play that didn't count because it was holding defensive holding, but it was defensive holding because the play was so good. It was an unbalanced look, uh, you know, an, a, out of a red zone kind of play, and it would have been a touchdown had the defender not held um, held our receiver. But it was, it, you know, it was a great look. Go check that out if you follow him on Twitter. But um, that is an example of what you're talking about. Just a really, really well designed play. Looked like a fake quarterback power. And then you know, Bo pulled it and was going to throw it over the top to I can't remember if it was a running back or, or receiver. Um, who would have clearly gotten a touchdown had he not been held. And, and it was just an, an example of what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And I think the tight end room deserves a shout-out. They have been blocking their butts off. I mean, Ferguson and Montevideo, specifically McCormick as well, they've been dominant as run defenders when, when placed in line. And, and I'm glad that they're getting the opportunities down the field to catch the ball because they're blocking at an extremely high level right now. Yeah, it's good when they. It, it's good that they get, like you said, they get rewarded a little bit, right? Like the, they're all their efforts in the run game, you know, are paying off because they do get targeted. And obviously, Ferguson leads the nation from the tight end position with four touchdowns 
uh, on the year on only nine catches. So he's he's a huge red zone weapon down there. Uh, a little bit back to the running game. Um, if you take out the 22-yard lateral uh, loss of yard, 22-yard loss on a lateral late in the game, the, the running game averaged 5.44 yards on 43 carries. So uh, that's a significant... You're going to win a lot of games if you can run the ball for five and a half yards on 40-plus carries and, and, again, spraying it all around. And I even think the running backs, particularly Noah, you know, left some yardage on the field. I thought he he, he was trying to bounce runs, and it, it worked a couple times for him, but I thought a couple of times, particularly that one goal line or, you know, red zone play was really, you know, sometimes you just got to take the yards that's there. And I think, you know, moving up from from the level of play he was at, you know, at Western Kentucky to, to Oregon, I think he, he's probably still got to learn that a little bit is, you know, you're not going to be able to bounce things out, you know, nearly as much as you used to. It's like moving from high school to college, right? Like there's athletes on the other side of the ball that are maybe a little better than what you used to play against. Yeah, and that's far from the worst front seven that we're going to play this year. Um, they, again, I don't know that they're the most athletic bunch, but they're real disciplined. They'll stick their nose in there and they play hard. Um, and they, they've got some pretty good size. And so we moved them around and, uh, we did what we were supposed to do. And so really hard to complain going forward, just continue to, to evolve and improve the vertical passing game. And we're, we're going to be a really tough team to handle offensively. Yeah, it'll be, you know, be great to see what happens in Pullman going on the road again. Uh, you know, really first true road game, but second road game, you know, and the first one, uh, as we all know, didn't go so well. So I think it'll, we'll talk about that in our preview pod, but It'll be good to see this team, how they're out there. And obviously, Washington State's 3-0. and They feel like they're being disrespected. Going on the road at Wisconsin and winning, not getting in the top 25 still. Um, and they're going to be ready. They're going to be fired up. And, and they've really committed to stopping the run. So they're going to come out. They know they're going to have to stop our running attack, Oregon's running attack. And so uh, it's going to be another test for our line. Yeah, I'm really excited to preview that game this week because there's some matchups that I think are going to be important to highlight. Um but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to this weekend. I think the the biggest test that going forward into the season now that we've kind of established ourselves as a top 15 team is how do we handle ourselves week to week? How do we avoid getting bit when we're not playing our best? Because um, that's going to happen. Like in the course of a 12 game season, you're not going to play like we did against BYU every week. And so, um, what's the attitude of this team? What's the preparation level like on a week to week basis? And um, do we have good enough leaders to overcome that Saturday when we're just, we're just not clicking? Yeah, for sure. Any more thoughts on this game before we move on to talk about our picks and how we did and, and some of the other games around the nation? No, I think we nailed it. Okay. Well, let's flip over. Um, and I noted this on the preview pod, you know, week three matchups were, were not, uh, not a lot of good ones around the country, but college football always delivers. And much like week two, um, we had some some upsets. We had some fantastic finishes. We had some games that were closer than they should have been, and some games that were maybe not as close as they should have been. So, uh, you know, plenty of intrigue. Uh, you know, the all the top teams who were, you know, we were talking about 40, 40 to fifty point favorites. They all did what they're supposed to do. Georgia smoked South Carolina, which is, I mean, we we both predicted that, but I I think most of the people in the country. Expected Georgia to win handily, but forty-eight to seven was probably a, a bigger score margin than most people uh, have seen. I don't know how in the world there are two voters in the AP who have Georgia ranked third. Uh, I, I I don't know what they're watching. They're, they're not watching, and apparently neither is John Wilner. If you looked at his ballot, so yeah, yeah, uh, there were some interesting ballot choices uh, for sure today. Alabama sixty-three to seven. 
Ohio State uh, beats up on Toledo, 77-21. Michigan over UConn, 59-zip. Clemson, 48-20 over Louisiana Tech. Oklahoma smoked Nebraska. We both picked Oklahoma to cover that spread. I certainly expected them to win easily. I don't think I expected 49-14. to I just don't think that Nebraska has very many good players. And some of the stuff that's come out this week about like the Scott Frost tenure there, yeah, it, it's insane. It's it's very eye opening uh, and and quite disappointing and 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 maybe you know might really hurt his prospects to to get a head coaching job at least in the foreseeable future. You might have to hey, take a Nick Saban coaching rehabilitation tour. Absolutely, yeah. He's been, I think he's burned some bridges too with his assistants. Yeah, I, I think so, for sure. Um, USC, 45-17 over Fresno. I think we both predicted them to cover, but, you know, a wider margin than predicted. But, but you know, key to that, Jake Hayner going out with the pretty serious-looking leg injury, you know, early in that game when it was still somewhat competitive. So, that, you know, that certainly turned that game <laughs> turned that game from, you know, what was probably going to be a comfortable win into a much more comfortable win. Yeah, I mean, it's just a problem when you're a G5 team playing USC is – you can have a really good offense, but USC has enough talent to find some stops. These G5 teams are not going to be able to stop USC. Yeah. The Cowboys, uh, Oklahoma State, 63-7 to over Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Kentucky continues to look good. They moved to 3-0 on a 31-zip uh, you know, victory over Youngtown, Youngstown State. Arkansas, Missouri State, a lot closer, you know, maybe than it should have been, or maybe some people predicted. Uh, Arkansas pulled away with 21-3 in the fourth quarter after trailing for much of that game to win 38-27 at home and also move to 3-0. Former Arkansas head coach Bobby Petrino um, going back and giving them some some juice there. Yeah, we'll get to the Pac-12 games in a minute. Uh, a couple other games of note, uh, you know, Tennessee 63-6 over Akron. They'll host Florida this week in, in one of the bigger games from around the country. And, of course, you know, the game we all wanted to talk about, Texas A&M and my aunt host of Miami. And it was, we both said, take the under, take the under, take the under. And, and the under was, was easy money, 17-9. Uh, A&M, uh, Miami got 27 first downs without a touchdown. Kicked three field goals, had another one blocked, I believe. Um, you know, two two defenses that played pretty well against two offenses that might be challenged. So, yeah, I think that the it's a little bit of an indictment on on Miami's passing game when A and M is essentially down their entire starting four, two to suspension and two to targeting in the secondary, and they still just absolutely blanket them all night long. Yeah, so that's a that's one of the games we picked on our preview pod, and and you're gonna take me on that one. You picked a uh, and to cover. I had Miami losing but covering the five and a half, and and they didn't. So you got me there, uh, one up. The the next game there that we also picked was NC State and Texas Tech, and I got to return the favor on this one because I had NC State covering, and you picked uh, you picked Tech to uh, to keep it closer and. Uh, uh, they didn't. So 27-14, NC State uh, beating the Red Raiders. Yeah, the uh, NC State defense is pretty legit. I, I probably should have. I was on the wrong side of that, absolutely. Like, NC State just dominated that game. Well, that's okay. You got a couple coming later that you can look brilliant on. So we'll uh, we'll talk about those here as we shift gears. Uh, any other outside the Pac-12 game? I, I mean, Florida held on to beat South Florida at home. 
3128. So that was uh, a, a close one. Uh, Wake also avoided disaster, almost losing to Liberty at home. Um, Texas kind of was battling with uh, the Roadrunners of Texas San Antonio early, but put them away late. Penn State just annihilated Auburn in Auburn. I think uh, Brian Harson's days at Auburn are probably, they were numbered, but they're probably even more numbered now. I think this is the worst Auburn team I've seen. Like This this Auburn team stinks. Like They are horrible. Um, that place, Jordan-Hare, is usually a really, really difficult place to play for, for anybody, especially a non-conference opponent. And, I mean, Penn State just ran through them. Like a hot knife through butter. Like they, there was zero resistance. Auburn is a bad football team, and it bears mentioning not a top twenty-five game or one that we previewed, but Appalachian State continues its charmed life um, after knocking off the Aggies last week. They come home, really struggle against a, a Troy football team that's frankly not that good, um, but win the game on a hail mary at as time expires. So thirty-two twenty-eight. App State. Yeah, they're, they're kind of the cardiac kids this year because they, like, go look at all three of their games. They've been really, really tight finishes. They they lost on pretty much the equivalent of a Hail Mary to UNC. They won on a Hail Mary against Troy, and they won by three at Texas A&M. So um, two and one's a good spot for you, for you to be as a team when you've played three games like that, uh, but they could just as easily be one and two or three and oh. Yeah, and and it's worth worth noting that they lost that uh, North Carolina game in Week One when they scored forty points in the fourth quarter and still yeah. lost. <laughs> yeah, that was that was an absurd game. Like that game was that's so so Week One. Yeah, it's uh, a bummer we didn't get to talk about those Week One games because there was a couple that were probably would have been a good a good cover. But uh, I guess North Carolina versus Miami here in a couple weeks is going to be like, what happens when a movable object meets a resistible force? Because that UNC secondary is horrible. And that Miami passing game is just as bad. So who wins that matchup is going to be really hideous and fun to watch. All right. Well, let's get to the Pac-12. Obviously, we covered Oregon and BYU. Um, The next one, and we covered USC Fresno. So the next one, I think, obviously, to talk about is... Our friends from up north, uh, the Huskies, they moved to three and zero with a a really convincing home win over uh, the previously eleventh ranked Michigan State Spartans. Uh, came up to Seattle, uh, and this game was not as close as the final score of thirty nine to twenty eight. Uh, I think it was twenty two zip at one point. Washington got all but one of their available yards in the entire first half, so pretty dominating home win against uh, the Spartans. What do you say? Yeah, so coming into this year, I picked him to go over, and then on our pick show, I think I had him a little bit lower than the eight wins. I I didn't really know what to think about Penix. Like he had been pretty up and down during his tenure at Indiana. He was better with DeBoer, but he was never anything like this. Like he is playing at an extraordinary high level, and if he can stay healthy and continue to do it, um, Washington's going to be a problem for everybody left on the schedule because. That they've got three really good receivers in Polk, McMillan, and Odunze. Uh, I think the offensive line is pretty good in pass pro. They they got stuffed twice in goal line situations, which is important to note just moving forward as a little little mental check there. Uh, I'm sure they'll be working to improve that, but I, I think they're still a little bit soft up the middle. Um, more on the Michigan State side, like they were the worst pass defense in college football a year ago. I don't think that they're a whole lot better this year. Um, 
I think it's going to be pretty tough for them to to get to eight wins. I I think their over under was seven and a half. After losing to Washington, they they have a pretty they have a really good Minnesota team who's cooking with some steam coming in this weekend. I I don't know. I I think that this win is a really strong win, especially early in a tenure. And I think that Michael Penix looks fantastic. I'm not sure that this win is going to look particularly great when we look back in hindsight at the end of the season. Yeah, but nevertheless, it's a it's a good win for the Huskies. You know, getting back oh, into huge. the top twenty-five. You know, kind of accelerating their timeline, getting back on the national stage, and and honestly, a pretty good weekend overall for this conference. With you know Oregon knocking off BYU, Washington knocking off Michigan State. You know, everybody taking care of business who was supposed to. Cal played Notre Dame really tough. We'll get to that. Uh, really, the only blemishes were you know Arizona State and their dumpster fire, uh, which we'll also talk about here in a little bit. This and was then, really of course, like of course, uh, Colorado, <laughs> but you know, what can you, sorry to interrupt, you Doug, but this is, this is really a hallmark sec weekend. Like you have two teams at home playing against overrated opponents. Um, and I'm, I'm including Oregon in this. I don't think BYU is the 12th best team in the yeah. country. Um, and Michigan state certainly isn't the 11th best. So just based on the way that the scheduling and the AP poll worked out, like Oregon and Washington both got really I think I think they're good, really quality wins, uh, and I think that both teams looked really well and acquitted themselves as as you would expect against teams that are probably probably pretty overvalued by the media at this moment. Uh, we'll see we'll see if that is true as the year goes on, but uh, nonetheless, really like you said, it's a good weekend for the conference. All right, so let's move on. We both picked uh, we both picked MSU in that game, so we both took the L there. Uh, Utah took care of business at home as expected, thirty five to seven over San Diego State. Yeah, that's uh, kind of in line with what we thought. Braxton Brewmeister is still not good. Um, we both had Utah on that one. Uh, USC, we both picked USC. We touched on that game already. Let's talk about Cal Notre Dame. Uh, you, you know, is Notre Dame? just really not very good or is Cal, you know, maybe better than we thought, you know, or maybe where you thought they were as you, you had them kind of picked pretty well in our preview show. I think both of these teams hate their own offenses. Like these, these are some of the ugliest offenses in college football. I think Cal's problems are more design. I think that Notre Dame's problems are that they don't have a ton of talent at receiver and their quarterback is not very good. Poor Drew Pine just got absolutely unloaded on by Tommy Reese after an early miss on third down. I don't know if you saw that, Doug, on Twitter. Um, pretty hilarious. He's on. He's standing on the sideline talking yeah, on the phone, yeah. and then they flash to the coordinator cam that they've added on a lot of these broadcasts, and Reese is just lighting him up. So um, I think this was a battle of two really incompetent offenses more than it was two fantastic defenses. I do think that the the Notre Dame defense is pretty good, but the this Cal offense is pretty brutal to watch. Yeah. And Marcus Freeman gets his first win at Notre Dame to move them to one and two and a win. I mean, he desperately had to have, and, and they had to hold on Hail Mary, you know, almost got caught toward the end of that game. There was a weird, weird phantom penalty that gave Notre Dame, you know, second life on a, you know, seven free points earlier in the game. So, you know, good for him for getting the win, but man, both those teams, I think have a long way to go. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so now you got to look brilliant because you know South Alabama traveled to UCLA and and I took UCLA minus the fifteen and a half and they needed a last minute field goal to win this game by one 
32. In fact, they had outscored South Alabama 9-zip in the fourth quarter to win by one point. So 32-31 is the victory here. And you took, uh, you took I don't even know what their mascot is, but you took Southern Alabama whatever, and you were looking pretty smart today, my friend. Yeah, so I, I look smart, but not in the way I intended to. I thought that South Alabama's defense would give UCLA some problems. South Alabama's offense is bad. And so I now have some pretty serious questions about this UCLA defense moving forward. Um, That Washington game against UCLA here in a few weeks is going to be a really intriguing matchup. I I think we might see a lot of points scored in that game. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing that game. I I was pretty high on UCLA coming into the year, maybe higher than most, maybe higher than I should be. Not not ten win high, but you know, eight to nine win high. And I just, man, I don't know what to make of this team. I, they they just don't. I don't think they're very good. But I, they should be I, good, I, and their schedule is garbage. So I don't know. They could win nine games. I think the offense is pretty good, and I think what's going to happen is like a lot of chip teams, they're just going to decide some week that they're going to be really good on offense, and they're just going to start scoring a lot. Gotcha. Uh, all right, a game I refuse to talk about, but you're welcome to say something. Colorado 7, Minnesota 49. Yeah, uh, Colorado, I'm just going to say this every week. Colorado is not winning a football game this year. Yeah, I think uh, this was the week where a lot of people around the country have woken up to what you know. those of us on the West Coast have known now, is that Colorado very well likely is the worst team in the Power Five. They're absolutely the worst team in the Power Five. I think call I me mean, Nebraska would probably be favored by 15 like on a neutral site against Colorado, which is hilarious. Cause Oh my gosh. Can we like have a bowl game for like, they might win two games combined between them, which means that Nebraska will win one more. Like we should have a special bowl game to allow that rivalry to play itself out. Maybe, yeah. even bring, maybe even bring Scott Frost back for that one. Honorary coach. I love it. And and Minnesota, just to to call them out, you mentioned this earlier. You know they'll be playing uh, Michigan State this coming week, and I think Minnesota's a pretty good football team. You know I, you know say what you will about row your boat and PJ Fleck. You know he, they're never gonna be a you know team that's winning the the Big Ten, but they always seem to just be pretty steady, pretty solid. You know pretty well coached, and I think you know they got a heck of a running back. Uh, you can see why Bucky uh, Irving transferred over to Oregon because you know Muhammad is the real deal and and he's balling out. Yeah, Ibrahim is no joke, and I'm glad to see that he's back and healthy. I I think that um, they're probably the favorites to win that league or the to win that division, I should yeah. say. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I you know you would have said maybe. I mean, some people were picking Nebraska early, and and I look pretty dumb because I was pretty high on them. But uh, you know, and others would say Wisconsin. But right now, Minnesota certainly looks to be the class of the West in the Big Ten for sure. And overall, just to touch on that, I mean, the Big Ten, much like the Pac-12, has had a much improved you know out of conference uh, performance this season compared to the last couple. The Big Ten outside of their top two has really not, you know, been all that great. This, this, uh, this off season, you know, Wisconsin losing to Washington state, uh, you know, the, the losses to some Sunbelt teams and some other things, you know, the, the, the big 10 is definitely not, uh, not shining the brightest light right now. No, I agree. Um, I think the big 10 East and the big 10 West should almost split up because the East is, I think undefeated. still. Yeah, the East is really good. And Penn State, uh, we should note, they they 
they're playing a lot better this year than they did last year. Uh, obviously, they got a lot of the, all their hard games still ahead of them, but you know, certainly looking much improved over the seven and five uh, team from last year. Hundred percent agree. Another game we both missed on uh, Colorado State uh, at Washington State, Oregon's next opponent, and we both had Colorado State. Um, you know, not necessarily winning, but a sixteen and a half point spread. We we had them inside that, and and we both were wrong. Washington State won. Pretty handily. Uh, Washington State had seven sacks uh, against uh, Colorado State, and they've had 14 sacks through three games. Only one of those, I believe, was against Wisconsin, though. So they've really loaded up on on Idaho State or Idaho and uh, Colorado State in that department. Yeah, they're they're a pretty small and fast defense, as we'll get into. So that doesn't surprise me against group of fives that they're just all over the place, but. Uh, seems that they're starting to figure the offense out a little bit. This is Cameron Ward's best performance by a pretty wide margin. So um, I'm interested to do some more film study on this game and kind of see what we're going to get here in Washington State next weekend. Yeah, Ward went for 299 and four touchdowns, so definitely his best game as a Cougar. Uh, Oregon State Beavers uh, played in Portland at Providence Park against Montana State, took care of business 68-28. Montana State scored seven points in every single quarter. Uh, So... But the Beavers loaded it up early and often and really ran away from that one. But uh, what do you think? Is that is that indicative of anything or just, you know, a team doing what they should do against the FCS? No, I think Oregon State's good enough to beat up on FCS opponents. So that's kind of what I expected. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go to another FCS matchup. Arizona winning at home uh, as an underdog against uh, North Dakota State, the perennial FCS uh, champion, it seems. And I think it was uh, North Dakota State's first loss against a Power 5 opponent in like 10 years. Um, And it was close. I mean, it was a really good game. I watched most of this one, actually, kind of back and forth in the second half. And and Arizona looked to be, you know, going down to a two-score defeat, kind of mid-fourth quarter, came up with a big stop. And then their offense just came alive. Uh, Tetro McMillan had a couple of really nice catches, and and Cowing went off, and and Arizona, you know, pulled out the victory in the in the end. And, and it was a good victory for them um, and that program, and and you know, again, helped the Pac-12 showing this week too. Yeah, when we talk about beating up on FCS teams, I don't think that North Dakota State qualifies in that statement. They're they're much bigger. Um, they recruit well. They have a great developmental program. That's a that's a big win for Arizona. Like I feel, if if you're somebody like myself and Doug that bet the over on two and a half, you got to be feeling really really good about that right now. Yeah, they got two, so I, I think they're going to find one more win in nine conference they play, games. They play Colorado. I mean, they it's do play Colorado. So. It, it's a mortal lock. They're going over. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I sadly I didn't take I didn't bet on it. I don't know why. I don't bet. That's why. But if I should have bet, I should have decided to figure out a this way to is bet the one. This, was, this is the one because i i'm i'm fading colorado every week like i don't know that there's a line big enough for me to stop fading colorado because that team is going to start to give up soon like they they're getting just housed every week it's demoralizing perfect well i think we only have one pack 12 game left and uh i think they there's a reason i saved this one for last I think this is where I announced my candidacy to be the next Arizona State head coach. Yeah, I they are looking for data guys apparently and or and stuff. Data and stuff guys. What what was the quote? I got to go find it. 
Yeah, well, I'll, I'll I'll recap this game for for the listeners real quick. Eastern Michigan wins at Arizona State. Um, insert directional Michigan school here. All of them are bad this year. So this win or this loss is like completely inexplicable. And it wasn't like some like weird fluky last minute thing. Like they controlled this game the entire time. And Arizona State. This is kind of what I was worried about. This like to me, they were the most volatile team. Um, to evaluate coming into the season because you like you never know like if they like started off strong new new transfer quarterback like you never know they might have galvanized and kind of fought for Herm a little bit like now Herm's gone and they're uh, one and two they got kind of boat raced by Oklahoma State um, this could go south now like they, they might just be a free win on everyone's schedule from here on out we'll see who gets announced as the interim head coach I don't think they've even announced that yet um, and see if they can maybe galvanize some wins. Maybe they should just bring in Ed Orgeron to coach this team for the rest of the year because that seems to work pretty well for teams. Um, either way, I think Arizona State might be ready to pack it in, and that's pretty terrifying considering it's only week four. Yeah, I mean, I think we both predicted that there would be a point in this season where you know the Arizona State would fall over the edge of, you know, be, be, because of all the controversy and and everything going on inside that program, turmoil inside that program. I don't think either of us predicted it happening, you know, in week two, week three range, which is which is when it did. And I, I just keep coming back to, like, what were they thinking keeping Herm on board? Like, they've just now completely wasted an entire season of, you know, of development. And, you know, like, they could have jump-started the next regime by doing what everyone in the universe knew they should have done last December and firing Herm and bringing in a new coach. And, and now they like, they doubled down on Nope, Nope. Herm's our guy. So we can fire him in week three. Like, well, I think they were hoping the NCAA would give their notice of allegations in the meantime. And they could, cause now that's going to be hanging over their coaching search, which is a problem. Yeah, I guess. I, I don't know why they were hoping the NCAA, who's hasn't acted with any kind of speed in anything in years would all of a sudden find a way to do it. But I think they're, they're, they're AD and their president are just, we're just quite honestly incompetent and too, too loyal to Herm, but maybe you're right. That's completely possible. I mean, who knows what the strategy was involved regardless. It didn't work. They're kind of screwed. Um, I don't know how much the possible allegations or I guess the possible sanctions are going to affect their their head coaching hire. But there's actually some pretty good coaches that need jobs right now. So I I think they're in a good spot and I think it's an attractive job. It you know, it feels like the the Arizona State is going to be good, you know, in 2 years is kind of like how for my entire lifetime soccer is going to like take over, you know, US sports. You know, I've been hearing for 40 years, like, soccer is the next big thing, and it's going to dominate. And I feel like I've been hearing for 40 years that Arizona State's going to be great. Like, it should be. It, it, there, it has everything it needs to be a great job and a great program. To be what fair, though. What is it going to happen? What is it going to happen? If prior to the, like, scandal being released, like, two weeks before the 2021 season... I actually think that they were kind of the favorite to win the South last year. They were so by a lot of people. Yeah. They were they were on the right path. 
I don't think they had the right people. Like, I think that they hired a lot of, like, frankly, like, really bad people to run the program. Um, not, not Herm necessarily. I think he's more of a victim of his assistant hires. But regardless, it doesn't matter. Because uh, you're the head guy and it all falls on you. But, like, there's there's more than a handful of coaches that I think could do a really good job here. And I think that the environment and the lack of expectations are going to be really enticing to, to, to some. Yeah, I, I, it's one of those jobs where, yeah, like you said, the expectations will be low coming in and, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential there, right? There's, there's good recruiting gowns in Arizona. You got access to Texas, you got access to Southern Cal. Um, you know, certainly, you know, there's a lot worse places as you know, to live in the world than, than the Phoenix area. So yeah, if you can't, if you can't sell living in Tempe, which is right by Scottsdale, then I, I don't really know what to tell you. Like I kind of like Dan Mullen is sitting there at ESPN right now. I think this would be a great job for Dan Mullen because it's a think about what he did at Mississippi State. Now he's not in the South anymore, so certain things are going to be a little bit more difficult to recruit at Arizona State. But considering how good of an offensive coach he is, this is a program that would be stoked to go seven and five or eight and four every year. Um, I think, well, probably eight and four more than seven and five, but you, you get what I'm saying here. Yeah. I, I think Dan Mullen would be a freaking fantastic hire for Arizona State. All right. We'll see what the hot board looks like and what the timeline looks like, too. That, that's what's interesting with, you know, with Frost getting fired and with Arizona State now coming open and maybe, maybe Auburn, uh, you know, pretty soon is what, I mean, what do you do when you fire your coach in week three? You just, you roll out. 10 more weeks of interim coach? Do you start searching? Do you wait till after the season? I guess it depends on who you're targeting. If you're targeting a guy like Mullen, you can probably move faster or somebody who's not coaching currently, right? If you're if you're targeting a sitting coach, it's a weird dynamic. I'm going to give another one. Gary Patterson. Oh. I think he, I think he would do really well there too. Um, does he want a coach still? I think he does, but I don't know him personally. Uh, regardless, I think Arizona State's in a different spot than Nebraska and possibly Auburn. Those are programs that are going to want to shoot for the fences, which means they're going to want to wait till the end of the season. They might be able to poach some sitting head coaches. I think that Arizona State might have a little bit more of a non-traditional board that might allow them to get at least the head man hired early. Um, and, and who knows? Like They'll take their time, and maybe I'm probably underselling it a little bit. They probably think that they can shoot for a little bit better than than what I'm expressing, but I'm, I'm just looking at guys like Tom Herman and Dan Mullen and these guys all, they don't have jobs. Gary Patterson kind of has a job, but like, I'm sure he would be more than willing to take off from being an analyst at Texas to get started. If that was a decision he, he decided to make. Um, I, I just think because they, of the, where Arizona sits, sits in the pecking order nationally, they might be in a position to possibly make a hire a little bit sooner, but I guess it just depends on what their board looks like. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I like the thought you had about what if they hire somebody like early? I mean, you you wouldn't install them into the program, right? Your interim would still finish out the season, but like they could start working behind the scenes, you know, working the board for building out a staff, you know, kind of setting up their their apparatus. You know, it's an interesting concept. I like start recruiting. Like that's. Like get a head start on that because Arizona State ro- roster needs a lot of work, um, and so whoever takes that job is going to know that pretty quickly. 
They they they're they're all their talents transferred out for the most part. Um, the guys that remain, the only reason they stayed is because they only have one more year till the draft eligible, so they'll be gone regardless. Yeah, that's a good uh, that's good that's a good point. I like that concept. I'd I'd certainly would look at that if I were them. But yeah, you know, who knows where they're going to go? Former another one of those transfers you mentioned, Johnny Wilson. Uh, you know, former Duck commit transferred out, went to Florida State, had a big game. Yeah, made a couple of really, really big catches, and um, I'm I'm happy that Florida State's winning. It's good to see them win. I I love their white uniforms that they wore against Louisville. Yeah, I don't like white uniforms in general, but those are nice. Yeah, it just works really well with their with their setup. Yeah, I, they're three and zero. There's a team that you know was knocking on the door of the top twenty five. It, it almost feels like it's interesting with the rankings, and everyone gets you know so every, Sunday comes out, the rankings come out, and everyone gets all upset. I used to be, you know, 10 years ago, I'd get all upset about the rankings. And now I'm just like, I'm more just like, eh, it'll work. They'll work themselves out, right? Like, okay, Washington State, you're mad you're not ranked. Guess what? Beat Oregon this week, you'll be ranked. And if you lose, you would have been on ranked again. So who cares? Same thing with the Beavers. Yeah, the the rankings don't matter till the end of the year. Yeah. And even then, these rankings don't matter anymore. They haven't since 2014. So it's just fun. Yeah, but it does feel like there's more teams that probably deserve to be ranked than there are spots right now. So, but that'll work itself out over the next few weeks. I think there's more parity between the fifth best team and the thirtieth best team than there's been in, in quite some time right now. Um, and so, I'm this. This is going to be a pretty fun year to track. I think that we have a lot more twists and turns and upsets um, still to come. But Doug, I tell you what, it, we are uh, over an hour now, and. Uh, I think I think it might be time to wrap this thing up. Yeah, that's going to wrap up this episode. Appreciate you all so much for listening. And please check out our preview of the Washington State game later this week.